Dr. Bethy Campbell is back on the show today, one of the Change Academy's favorite people. And this conversation really has it all. Some theory, some science, some practical applications, even a quiz that you can take to help you assess where you are in your own process of change. And depending on your result, some targeted resources to support you. All right. All right. Everyone, take your seats or lace up your sneaks. We're about to get started. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast. I'm your host, Monica Reinagle. And in this show, we talk about what it takes to create healthier mindsets and habits in our own lives, as well as how we can create healthier communities and workplaces. Whether you're working on your own health and well-being or promoting healthy behaviors is your job, we're going to talk about what works, what's hard, what's needed, and what's next. Let's jump in. If you've ever taken an introductory psychology class or, or even just done reading on human behavior and development, you have almost certainly at some point stumbled across the trans-theoretical model. It's maybe better known as the stages of change. And this model, which is a few decades old at this point, offers some insights into how behavior change happens and why it sometimes doesn't happen, or it seems like it's not happening. And this can help us better support behavior change, both our own efforts and those of people around us that we want to support more effectively. But I think there are some interesting nuances to the stages of change, which I think is worth a little bit more exploration. And who better to do that with than clinical psychologist and friend of the podcast, Dr. Bethy Campbell. Welcome back to the Change Academy, Bethy. Thanks so much, Monica. It's great to be back. During your academic career, you pioneered a, a whole curriculum on helping skills in which you trained non-therapists or, well, often, you know, therapists to be on ways to support others who were dealing with whatever psychological or emotional challenges might be coming up. And ultimately, you published that method as the life raft model. And as we've talked about, there are some interesting intersections between your life raft model, which is ultimately a little bit more expansive and comprehensive, but there are some places where it crosses over with that trans-theoretical model that I thought would be fun to talk about today. But maybe you could just put on your professor hat one more time, and if you wouldn't mind just giving us a brief overview of that trans-theoretical model. Absolutely. Yeah. So the uh, the stages of change model, it has five different stages in it. So it breaks the change process down into several different phases. So first we have the pre-contemplation stage. That's kind of the unknowing or denial stage. That's where we either don't know that a problem exists mm. or we don't know that we can actually do anything to change it or we're in denial about, about the fact that there's a problem or that we can change it. So as you said, yeah, I train people on how to help others. I also counsel on career change. So I thought we could take career as, as an example. So someone would be in the pre-contemplation stage if they don't know yet that their career isn't a fit for them anymore, or maybe they're just really unhappy in general, but they're they're not aware of or they're not fully confronting the fact that their career misfit is, is really driving that unhappiness. Maybe they're saying things like, um, work isn't supposed to be fun, or there's nothing I can do about it. This is mm. just the way it is. Is it fair to say when people are in that pre-contemplation stage that 
other people might almost be more aware of the problem than than the the subject himself. Absolutely. Well said, Monica. It's oftentimes in this phase, especially, you know, you would think that, you know, someone being very unhappy might be very aware that they're unhappy, but it actually might be other people outside saying, you know, it it just seems like you're you're constantly unhappy these days. Yeah. And, you know, you, you mentioned denial. And I think that that's very familiar to us from other kinds of problematic behaviors like over drinking or overeating. We often say that someone is in denial where other people are worried about them. They don't appear to feel like there's a problem. But that was interesting what you said that sometimes in that pre-contemplation phase, maybe it's not that we're totally unaware that we have an issue, but we don't believe we have the ability to change it. Yeah. And therefore, we're not contemplating making a change. I think that's an interesting little nuance there. Absolutely. So then we have next the contemplation stage. Mm -hmm. And this is really the conflict stage where we have at this point accepted that there's a problem and that we can do something about it, but we haven't yet decided to actually make a change. And this stage, we've all been there with issues, uh, and it's a very uncomfortable stage where we're really ambivalent or in conflict with ourselves. It's that point where we're trying to decide, is the pain of the problem better or worse than the pain of change, Mm -hmm. which is also challenging, daunting, sometimes scary. So with career, if someone's aware of the fact that their career is is a misfit. They know they want to to change careers, but maybe they're going back and forth saying, uh, "Is is now the time? You know, my income is good. Maybe I'd have to go back to school. I don't want to lose my benefits, but I also am so unhappy." Going back and forth, back and mm-hmm. forth, sort of weighing the pros and cons of making a move or staying with the status quo. Absolutely, I think we're yeah. all familiar with with that phase. So that's the contemplation phase. And then next comes preparation, right? So the preparation stage is the research stage. So this is where we've decided to change. We are going to do it, but we haven't yet started. So we're in a phase where we're gathering information and developing our strategy. Mm -hmm. So with our career example, that would be we've decided to change careers and now we are researching different careers and exploring our options. And maybe, I don't know, pulling together references, CV, just to stick with this example, will we already, or are we not yet taking any action? We're really just gathering information. Exactly. So so in the preparation stage, it can get a little bit confusing between mm-hmm. preparation and our next stage, action, because just, you're absolutely right. There is action being taken in the preparation stage, but it's what we call passive action. Mm. We're not actually engaging in resolving the the problem, but we are taking preparatory action. So we are learning or we're assembling things together, which can make us feel like we're doing a lot. And, and we may very well be, yeah. but it's not action. It's, it's not active action in the sense of actually changing the problem. Well, and I would imagine like any map of human behavior and motivation, there's not going to be perfectly delineated lines between these phases. There's going to be a little fuzzy, a little gray, a little blurring, because we're just not machines, right? So I 
But I can see how that would sort of start to bleed into that next stage of, of action, right? Which is stage number four of these five is action. Right. And, and, we would hope that they would blend into each other because that yeah. would make it a, for a nice transition where we enter the action phase, which is the doing phase. This is the one that we typically think of when we talk about change and we think about it as just a singular point. We think about the action stage. Now that right. we're talking about the stages of change, we recognize there is so, so much changing that's happening before we reach stage four out of five. And, and at the same time, this is the classic one that we think of where we're doing the thing, we're making the changes that we wanted to make, taking the steps. When we're talking about a complex behavior change, we're actually taking the steps that are making the change happen. So with changing a career, that would mean applying for jobs, going on interviews, um, maybe ap applying for a business license if someone's decided instead to go towards self-employment. And then once we're underway with a change, things have started to change, then there's another phase after that, which is kind of the different challenge of maintenance. And this, of course, is one that I'm very familiar with because it really comes up a lot in the work that I do with people on weight management. All the focus is on the weight loss, but of course, the maintenance phase is equally important and has some different challenges. So we don't want to undervalue that phase in which we are sustaining a new behavior long-term. And that's the, that's the fifth stage, maintenance. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, this is our building phase where we are continuing to make changes and we're working on making it a habit, mm -hmm. a lifestyle. We want to continue to consistently make progress. This is the stage where we might need to also combat boredom, yes. where the change isn't quite as exciting anymore. So we might need to spice it up or add new things to help evolve it and keep it a regular practice. Right. Because the, the forward motion slows down a little bit. And if that has been fueling a lot of our motivation... But being prepared for that, like, okay, once I am in this new phase, exactly as you said, things won't be changing as fast. So I'm going to need to find some other ways to stay engaged, to stay motivated, to stay interested. Great to go into that sort of prepared for that. And, you know, when I first came across the stages of change, I think the insight that I really zeroed in on was that you don't always want to jump right into action when someone is working on a change. And I think the reason I zeroed in on that is because that's definitely my tendency. I have sort of a, a bias towards action. So if you have a problem, Bethy, I want to come up with an action plan to remove that problem sooner rather than later. But if, if you were not yet in the action stage, that would not be the most helpful way to support you. So for me, it was it was kind of a reminder to slow my roll a little bit and take some time to evaluate where you are in that on that path, on that journey, so that I can kind of mirror a little bit better what you are working on and what would be the most supportive for you in whatever phase of this process you are in. Exactly. I think that's so helpful, which is is why I incorporate stages of change into my life raft training model into my career change work. So if you read my books or participate in my programs, you'll see that I incorporate this model for that reason. It really helps as an assessment to inform and guide 
where you're at in the process so that we can move forward from there or help others move forward. Right. And this is just as applicable to when we are sort of self-coaching through a, a change process. We could make the same mistake. I could jump into action before for, for, on my own behalf, maybe before I've completely prepared myself to. So uh, so just to say, this is just as useful for people who are working on self-development as it is for people who are supporting others. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that about the life raft, because that's what I thought of as I was learning your model. There's that step called investigate, where instead of jumping right into the problem solving, which is always what I'm eager to do, we slow that down. And as you point out, a lot of the challenges that we face in life, they can involve a combination of difficult feelings or unhelpful thoughts or problematic behaviors. And that pause to assess, to investigate, allows us to maybe figure out which of those three domains it makes sense to focus on first, because trying to tackle them all at once could easily be very overwhelming, right? And defeating. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of this. And it is just like what you're describing. I think all of us who are invested in helping others or are on the change process ourselves and are, are working to mm-hmm. evolve ourselves are so eager to make that change. Of course we are. Yeah. And so so there is this this push, this rush. And I think it comes from a very positive, optimistic place of we're genuinely trying to help ourselves and others. The natural urge to try to push forward is understandable and well-intended. And a lot of times what is actually going to move us forward is to take a step back, break the process down, mm-hmm. and actually move backward to move, move forward, which once again, I think is why the stages of change model is so helpful. Something that that research has continuously shown us is that this stages of change model is not linear. Mm-hmm. We don't just move from one stage to the next and set up camp at that stage until we're ready to go on to the next one. Yeah. It is a very fluid and dynamic process that is ever changing. We may at one point in a given day be in the maintenance phase and find ourselves in in, in a moment um leaping back to pre-contemplation. And rather than just fighting that and trying to force ourselves to keep pressing forward in action or maintenance, we would be most well served to actually recognize that's where we're at, take a pause, break it down, and address that to once again move forward. As you and I were preparing for this conversation, some of our conversations that we've had this really jumped out at me. In previous episodes, I've talked about the attention, intention, action cycle. This is a a very simple model that I've proposed, kind of the way I think of and approach behavior change. And in that model, I often talk about the six places that people often exit the cycle. And one of them is getting stuck in that information gathering mode. And that's in my model in the intention part of the cycle. And, you know, we see this all the time. People, you know, kind of are there in the research mode and they never seem to exit the research mode. And I have often at that point when I'm working with people and we recognize together that that's kind of what's happening, 
I've often encouraged them to to try to move into action as a way to continue their progress. And I guess this, again, displays my bias towards action. But as we were talking about this, you pointed out that someone who is stuck in information gathering mode, which is kind of the preparation part of the stages of change, they may actually, that stuckness may indicate that they need to go back, loop back to some previous stages that there may be aspects of contemplation that were not completed before they moved forward. Or as they've gone through preparation, it may have brought up new things that now require a little more contemplation, right? Absolutely. Monica, I just, I, I love how you've you've taken this I- idea and um, especially with the cycle you identified, the fact that you have it as a cycle, I think is so helpful and something that we can actually apply to the stages of change model, the fact that this does go around and around and you can enter the cycle at any time. Yeah. I think we can apply it and should apply it similarly to the stages of change model that just as you said, uh, you you may think that you're at a certain stage, mm-hmm. but you may actually be cycling back to a previous yeah. stage. And especially in, in coaching or when, when we're self-coaching, oftentimes we bring our best self to that scenario. And that often is, you know, our action self mm-hmm. where um, we want to talk strategy and we just uh, we're ready to do the thing. But we really want to acknowledge where is that person getting stuck? So they may be showing up to a coaching session or that moment with themselves of self-coaching where they're meeting themselves in the action phase. But we also want to recognize the moments that they're cycling back mm-hmm. to earlier stages. So if they struggled that week with adopting a change they they wanted to make, we want to look at what got them stuck? What was going through their mind at that time? And that can tell us what stage they were at. So for example, maybe in that moment, while they were you know, poised and ready for action, in that moment, they instead started to say, you know, it's really not that bad. Right. That ambivalence comes up. Yeah. So, well, maybe they're maybe they're actually questioning: Is this really a problem? Mm-hmm. This isn't so bad. Mm-hmm. So maybe they've actually cycled back to the pre-contemplation stage. So rather than just dealing with, you know, let's make this change, we really now need to go back and visit the what of having at that stuck moment um, some tools to help them regain awareness, revisit the problem and their role in it in order to move from that stuck point. I was so grateful to be having this conversation with you because this really did change the way I look at this process. I think it's added another layer of awareness for me as I'm helping people to to consider, you know, that just as you said a few minutes ago, the only way forward is is not always forward. Sometimes it's back. But I'm also wondering whether another aspect of this might be that often the changes that we are trying to implement and changing a career would be one of these, often uh, lifestyle changes are complex changes that actually involve a, a whole slew of discrete behavior changes. 
or lifestyle changes that all add up to that larger change. And it occurred to me that it'd be possible for you to be in a different stage for some of those different discrete challenges. So you may actually be ready to start taking action on part of this larger, more complex change, still not quite there for another part of it. And just that awareness that that could be what's going on, I think really opens up our toolbox of how we might respond, whether it's uh, when it's us, I think we, we just go right to frustration. You know, what's wrong with me? Why can't I move forward? So whether we are dealing with our own uh, frustration or we are trying to support someone else, I just feel like this, it just gives us so many more tools. Monica, I love that. Just that idea that, that we can really embrace the complexity without judgment of uh, not rushing to say, oh, there must be something wrong with me. I'm doing this wrong. But mm-hmm. recognizing behavior change is is complex and yeah. that we might be at uh, different stages at different moments or at different stages with different aspects and just embracing yeah. that as part of the process and part of the process then being when we feel ourselves getting stuck, accepting that with, with non-judgment and then just asking the question, Okay, what is keeping me stuck right now? Is it that I'm I'm in some denial <laughs> about the problem? Maybe we're in pre-contemplation. Yeah. Maybe we're stuck in contemplation. We've lost our why. We're starting to pro-con list it out again. Mm-hmm. And this so often happens um, when we're working on a long-term change and we're starting to pro-con out the short-term benefit versus the long-term benefit. So especially Mm. things like uh, nutrition change. But I really want this thing right now, but it doesn't fit with my long-term goals. That might be someone in that moment stuck in contemplation. Well, and you mentioned asking questions. And of course, curiosity is always, you know, our, our, our first and best tool But what this does, I think this conversation and these tools that we're discussing and just kind of seeing how they all overlay one another, where they build on one another, what they have in common, it just gives us more questions to ask. So when we are curious or when we're willing to be curious, we can have some more specific ways to investigate what's happening, you know? Absolutely. The thing about so many changes that we may be trying to make being very complex, having a lot of different parts. It reminds me of an exercise that we do in the Wayless program called priority mapping, where we try to break down a, a really big lifestyle change into small units of behavioral change, kind of the component parts. And we recognize we may not be able to enact all of them at once. So once we have a long list of the ways some of the ways that we might move some of the pieces forward. Now I'm visualizing a game board, you know, like we can move some of these pieces, but we consider which ones we are currently most ready to change. And we prioritize those just as we don't discard the rest. We just maybe back burner them for a while. We pick a few things to prioritize on. And it's that readiness to take action that we're trying to assess. And I'm seeing that now also sort of in a slightly different light, superimposed on the stages of change. 
Yes. Oh, what a what a great application. Absolutely. Yeah, if we recognize um, we're in some earlier stages with certain aspects, but we recognize that we're further along with these other mm-hmm. aspects, we can mm-hmm. prioritize those to kind of gain some momentum, which can then help us with the other aspects. I love that. I think this is also bringing up a challenge too that can one one frequent place that people get stuck is in the preparation stage. That one, just because uh, like we we talked about the fact that it it involves passive action, so we feel good about that. and uh, and many of us like research. So we like to become an expert <laughs> on the change process, um especially those of us who listen to the Change Academy podcast. Um, well, I, you know, it can be a way of staying safe, right? Let me just learn a little bit more before I risk doing it wrong, right. exactly. And so, with that, though, we can get analysis paralysis where right. we are, have learned too much. And and as a psychologist, I always like to remind people that more choices aren't always better. Mm-hmm. We Our decision-making capabilities actually uh, reduce the more choices we get. And so if you learn about all these different strategies of of how you can approach change, and there's so many um, options out there of programs to follow and, and guides for different aspects of change, that can become overwhelming and, and get us stuck too. So in that case, really choosing one approach and sticking with it rather than just trying to learn everything we can, can help. Yeah. yeah. And what I hear there is that sometimes we really do need to to push ourselves forward to take that first action step, even just as an information, you know, in order to gather more information, but in an active way instead of a passive way. Brock always used to say action breeds clarity, you know, when we're just feeling like, I don't know which of these things will be best or which will work. So it's not always the case that we need to loop back. Sometimes we really do need a little nudge to take a step. But. Exactly. Yeah. And these models, this is just the thing, you know, we we get a lot of benefit from trying to map human behavior and, and human motivation onto various systems that help us understand that's so valuable. But of course, as I said, it's always a little messy, you know, <laughs> and and a little it does require um, some trial and error. Sometimes we have to be willing to maybe get it a little bit wrong. I think the models still offer enormous value, even if they are not going to perfectly diagnose and prescribe every possible situation. Absolutely. Yeah. And and most of the time, simplicity is best. When we're trying to change something, if we find ourselves getting in the minutiae of, of this aspect or this aspect, one of my favorite sayings that, that guides this approach is, uh, don't mow the lawn when the house is on fire. So, right. Right. so let's not get too fancy. Let's revisit what are we trying to change? Why are we trying to change it? And pick one strategy and give it a try. And of course, I can't help but point out that this is one of the great benefits of working with someone, whether it's a counselor or a therapist or a coach who has some training, but also has just a little bit of distance, who's on your side, you know, but but has a little bit of objectivity because sometimes we we are so close to it, we can't see. And that outside, that caring input from somebody outside the situation can be so valuable. So for everybody, you know, just determined to do it all themselves, <laughs> it can be really helpful to have to have some help. And that's why I have my 
life raft helping skills model is is to train more people in how to be helpful and supportive with change because it it is so challenging and counselors coaches and also supportive everyday people can be so helpful in this process one of the reasons being is that when we are activated in those moments where we get stuck usually our executive functioning brain shuts down it's really hard for us in those moments to take a step back when when we're trying to to make a change and then we're getting stuck and not making that change it's hard for us to then analyze ourselves so yeah. um and that's the moment when we really need to dig in and find out what's going on and so having a supportive person who can break that that process down with us and help to evaluate what is getting us stuck can be so helpful. Yes. And we will absolutely put a link in the show notes to some more information on this life raft model that that Bethy has developed. And you are actually in the process of developing this as a course that would be available to people outside of the university setting, right? And I know there's no kind of go date on that, but if people listening are like, yeah, I need more of that, go uh, follow that link, get yourself on Bethy's mailing list so that you can be up to date when when those new tools roll out. Thank you, Monica. Yeah, it's currently in in a book form, so you can you can learn the model through my book, and then yes, it'll be a certification course. Yeah, so exciting. And in keeping with our Change Academy tradition and my insatiable appetite for assessments, Bethy helped me create an assessment for Change Academy listeners just to help you get a read on where you might be in relationship to any change that you are currently working on or currently contemplating. And we've even put together a playlist of past Change Academy episodes that we feel would be most supportive for you, depending on what stage you find yourself in. And keep in mind that you may get different results um, on our little assessment, depending on which change you are considering, which one you're answering the questions for. So we also have a link to that in the show notes. Hop on over there and Put yourself through that little quiz. I think it would be very illuminating, as always, just a way to ask better questions. And we also thought that that would be helpful, just like we said, that in those moments when we're stuck, it it's hard for us to reason through and think through, hmm. where am I at right now in my stages of change? And so yeah. this is a tool that we hoped would be helpful where you don't have to go through that process alone. You can take the quiz and ask, where am I right now? And then following up with the playlist, you'll get some tools and inspiration of then how to move forward through that stuckness. I'm glad you emphasized that right now, because you know, just to reinforce that this is a, a very dynamic process. We are trying to change things. We are changing. The world around us is changing. And so it is it is it is dynamic and we may we may go around that cycle many times in the in fact hopefully we will because that means we are in a process of continuing growth and discovery we should probably wrap up this conversation but bethy will you do us the honor of sharing our takeaways for today's conversation i'd be happy to okay so our takeaways for today first by aligning our helping strategies with the helpies' readiness, we enhance the effectiveness of our support. Secondly, the stages of change are not linear. 
It's normal to move back and forth as you progress through your behavior change journey. Before a change is ever expressed in someone's actions, there's actually a lot of change that has taken place, which is worthy of celebration. Yeah, I want to just pause on that one. I know you got one more to go because that is such a light bulb moment. That So just give us that one one more time and then we'll go we'll do the fourth one. <laughs> sure. Before a change is ever expressed in someone's actions, there's actually a lot of change that's taken place. Yeah. And lastly, change is a complex process and may involve being at different stages of change simultaneously. Good stuff as always. Thank you, Dr. Bethy Campbell, for joining me for this conversation and all the conversations that led up to that. We look forward to having you back again soon. Oh, thank you so much, Monica. Wonderful to be here. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Monica Reinagel. Our show is produced by me, Brock Armstrong. You'll find links to everything Monica mentioned in today's episode in our show notes, as well as on our website at changeacademypodcast.com, where you can also send us an email or leave us a voicemail. If you're finding this podcast helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or even better, give our show a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or, best of all, share this episode with a friend or colleague you think would enjoy it. Now here's to the changes we choose.